0: Hey, everybody, this is John Finn coming to you on the road today, but finishing out part two of Does God Judge Individuals? Uh, this is John Finn, C-W-O-W-I That's our website. There you can sign up for my weekly thoughts, which are free email that come out every Friday morning, uh, U.S. time. You can s- see several videos about house church and instructions. You can even see archived articles from my weekly thoughts, my e-newsletters, things of that nature. C-W-O-W-I you can also find out about our upcoming conference in a suburb of Tulsa, in the Tulsa area, October 8th through eleven of 2020. So anyway, but let's start there. Let's start where I kind of picked up last time, talking about does God judge individuals and how might that work? This is very narrow. I'm not going to explain. It's not going to explain why everybody doesn't get healed or why somebody dies early or why a tragedy happens. That's not the intent. The question is does God judge individuals? And if so, how does He do that? Now, I've covered previously Ananias and Sapphira, that was an active judgment, Uh, Herod, that was an active judgment. Um, and then degrees of judgment, like on Elimus, the sorcerer who was blinded for a season and things of that nature. I've been talking now, and I want to focus on what I would call passive judgment that I touched on last week, which, was, which is when uh, the Lord allows a person to suffer the consequences of their actions. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 31. The situation is this, and you need to understand the situation in Corinth itself. We're told in Acts chapter 18 that the city of Corinth uh, was founded with the Apostle Paul and uh, some friends, Aquila and Priscilla, who stayed there, and it said that Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, uh, became a believer, and many of the Jews with him, and those that believed separated themselves from the regular Jewish synagogue people, and they moved next door or adjacent to the house of one Roman named Justus. And it says also in 1 Corinthians, or in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 9, it says that many of the Greeks, many of the Corinthians also believed. So we had Romans, Jews, and Greeks thrown together in the house of a Roman household. Now understand the cultural context, because this is important to understand what happened in Corinth. Paul would later, let me go on and explain, Jewish people, Orthodox Jewish people um, at that time would not affiliate, associate, have dinner with Gentiles. At the same time, you have Romans who had conquered the world. So the Romans were the upper echelon. They were the the white collar, you know, ship owners and store owners and people like that, you know, white collar. And the Romans would not affiliate or associate with the lowly Jews who they had conquered or the lowly Greeks who they had conquered. They considered themselves superior to the Greeks, even though the Greeks uh, brought them a lot of the things that Rome was built on. And so you had these cultural biases, these prejudices between the Italian Romans, the Middle Eastern Jews, and the Greek uh, of Corinth, because Corinth is in, in Greece, and and so all these biases, all these prejudices, throw, are thrown together. So the Jews don't normally associate with anybody other than themselves. The Romans don't associate with anybody other than themselves. The Greek women are practically worshipped and didn't have to wear a veil. If they didn't want to or, or whatever, Roman women were not given as much authority and they showed off their their wealth by braiding their hair and weaving jewels into their into their hair. And, and the Jewish women had depended on synagogue and synagogue if they wore veils or not. And It was all a mix mishmash and they were all thrown together in the Roman house of justice. So what happened by the time you get to first Corinthians chapter three And verses 3 through 15, Paul says, you guys are acting like you're not even born again. There's envy, strife, and divisions among you. And these things are going to be wood, hay, and stubble that if you carry them all the way to death and stand before the Lord, that'll be that envy, strife, and divisions that you never grew out of is going to be wood, hay, and stubble that the Lord will burn up in judgment. But you yourself will be saved as though, but as though having come through a fire. So when we go to 1 Corinthians 11, a few chapters later, Verse 17, where he starts out and he says, look, he said, it's heard that there's divisions among you, that many of you are not eating with everybody else and having the Lord's Supper or coming together for a meeting. And he says, you have your own houses to eat and drink in. And he says, but you need to set that aside and come together as a body. And he says, you're not judging, you're not discerning the Lord's body properly. You're not eating the Lord's body, you know, having the Lord's Supper and, and partaking properly, so you need to judge yourselves. And he said, because you've not discerned the body of Christ, that is, you're not walking in love, you're full of prejudice, envy, strife, divisions, hatred, all these different things. He said, because of this, many are weak and sickly among you, and many have died early. If we judge ourselves, we won't be judged of the Lord, but if you are judged of the Lord, it's so you're not going to be condemned with the world. So in other words, their sicknesses, their weakness, their frailty, their Um, their susceptibility to the diseases of the area was directly tied to their prejudices and their hatred towards each other, their biases, because so much so that they wouldn't even eat together. Now I want you to think: if you were a friend of one of the people who was weak and sick, but you you knew that they were prejudiced, you knew that they didn't like Jewish people, or you knew that they you know it, the Jewish person they didn't like the Romans because of what they had done to their native land, or if you were a Greek and thought you were above it all because you because the Roman found you know Roman Empire is founded on on your culture, um, you you know, and that friend of yours is sick, and you'd sit there, maybe you'd pray for them, maybe you'd lay hands on them. Maybe you'd anoint them with oil, call for the elders of the church, and maybe you'd cast out a demon. You know, it's like, well, you know, when in doubt, cast it out, (laughs) you know, and you try everything that you knew to do, and yet nothing helped your friend. And they continued to get weak and sickly, and they died prematurely. You would never know that what opened the door for that sickness was their hatred or their bias or their prejudice or their envy and strife and divisions. Yet how many people today are like that? that that are filled with all these emotions and all these bitterness and anger and and baggage from the world that they never truly deal with. They never truly grow up in Christ to deal with it. And they are brought home early or allowed to suffer the consequences of their actions because they haven't grown up in the Lord as they should have. Let me give you a a couple of for real uh, examples here. I knew a man uh, who was diagnosed with a slow-growing cancer in about 1989, as memory serves. And, uh, and he chose being, a, he was word of faith and very proud. And so he chose to treat it like an infection that it would not, he would not seek medical treatment. And about 1994, the family really was urging him to get uh, medical treatment. And they did a family intervention and tried to get him to, to submit to treatment for that slow growing cancer, uh, that was cl- clearly growing in his body. He said, no, 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 he's treating it like an infection. Okay, I didn't know any of that until one day in 1999, I was praying for him, and the Lord told me flat out, he has cancer, and if he doesn't deal with it, he will die. And so I went to his uh, second-in-command, and I told him, I said, the Lord told me so-and-so has cancer, and he needs to deal with it. And I was rebuked. I was rebuked by that second-in-command, that gatekeeper. And he said, no, he said, that would not be received if you told him that. He has chosen to believe that it is an infection, and that's how he's dealing with it. He said, you're thinking wrong. You need to get your mind in line with his thinking. And I was like, well, that's the word of the Lord. And so I left there. Well, sure enough, what happened? He was so proud that when he realized that it was not going away, he did seek medical treatment, but he was so proud he did it out of state, and he did it under an assumed name. And it killed him. It took what, 15 years for it to kill him? But why did the, you know, you got people praying for him, the people who knew him, people were praying for him and, and loved the guy. And, and he was an exceptional man in so many ways. He was just really proud and really arrogant in that word of faith kind of way, you know, behind the scenes. Um, and, and so what happened? Well, the means of healing was within his ability and he chose not to do it. And so that stubbornness, the, you know, he, the Lord couldn't do much with that. I mean, it was the healing ability was right there in medical science and he didn't do deal with it. And so the, the, you take your life into your own hands at that point. And so, uh, and so that's what killed him. Let me give you another example. Uh, at one point, the uh, the closest friend of mine, uh, on staff at a church where I was on staff, that we were on the same level administratively. He was the head of one department. I was the head of another. And, uh, he and his wife and I, and, and Barb and I, Uh, Got together once or twice a month to have dinner and everything. I mean, they were our close friends. And like I said, administratively on the same level at that church. And one November, uh, one November, uh, they asked us to go to this 10 acres of land that they had bought about four hectares. And uh, and they were going to build a house on there and everything else. And they wanted to show us the land. So Barb and I are walking along that November, walking out there with them. And they're showing us the plants. And the father speaks to me and says, he'll be dead within a year. And, uh, we got in the car and I told, and I said, father, can it be changed? And there was silence. And so we got in the car and I told Barb, I said, the The father told me he's going to be dead within a year. And Barb said, can it be changed? And I said, just a minute, let's just be quiet for a minute. And let me, let me, uh, let me pray. And so I just internally real quick, father, can this be changed? Is there anything we can do? Silence. So I told Barb, I said, no, I said, uh, I said, you know, we waited there thirty seconds, and he didn't say anything. So I said, "No, I don't think it can be changed." Well, that was November. Three weeks later, in December, uh, this man was uh, removed from his position uh, of that arm of ministry and offered a lower position under the uh, subordinate to the new director of his department. So, so he was relieved of his duties, and a new guy was appointed, and. Uh, the pastor was very kind and said, you know, you can head up a department within that department, but you I don't want you directing the whole program. And, uh, and his heart was medical missions. And he was kind of taking, he, he was adding a more humanitarian element to that particular department. And it was contrary to where the pastor wanted to take it, but it hurt him very much because he knew the pastor before he went on staff. He'd known him about 15 years and to be replaced hurt his pride. Um, uh, just, it was very painful for him. Uh, it, he took it personally and, uh, and you have to understand this, this brother, he was, he was, uh, 51 at the time, 51 years of age at the time. And for the, you know, he had come to the Lord in the last 15 years or so. And before that, he said he was a hard driving, uh, two to four pack a day smoking, uh, uh, executive up and coming executive through his thirties. And uh, late 30s, then he came to the Lord and he gave up the smoking and and everything else and went full on with the Lord and eventually came on staff at that church. And this is important to understand because what happened was that I, in December after he got fired and and replaced, I I really... he came to my office to vent a little bit. And I said, you've got to, you've got to let go of this bitterness. You've got to deal with this. He's, oh, I've forgiven him. I'm okay. But I knew in his heart he hadn't, he was still very hurt, very bitter. And he sought to just busy himself in ministry activity rather than really dealing with his heart. Well, in May, they discovered uh, cancer in his lungs. And then by August, it had spread to his body and to his brain. By October, by October, 11 months after the father had spoken that to me, I'm there in the hospital at his deathbed with his wife, his daughter, and son-in-law, and we're there praying. He's unconscious, and it's like, let's pray. You know, Medically, he's got about half an hour to go, and, uh, and suddenly, as I'm there on his left arm, I'm laying hands on him, and suddenly, I'm in the spirit, and I look up, and above us, I see Jesus standing, and I see him, who looks to be, at that point, about 35 years of age. Uh, standing next to Jesus. And I said, Lord, I said, I said, you've got to bring him back. I said, he's, he's now 52 years of age. His wife needs him. They've got a lot of ministry days ahead of them. There's a lot they could do. And the Lord looked at me and he said, I can't, and I won't. And I knew the, I can't was to do with decisions that he had made earlier and that he won't uh, override his free will. And I won't related to that. Uh, and so I turned to my friend and I said, you've got to come back. And he said this, he said, John, I've seen glory and I'm not coming back. I've seen glory. And he says, the Lord tells me, and he mentioned his wife. He said, she'll be with me soon enough and she'll be fine. Help him, help in the transition. Uh, but I've seen glory and I'm not coming back. And I turned to the Lord and I said, Lord, you've got to make him come back. And he said, I can't and I won't. And so I knew the Lord wouldn't override that and, and everything. And he, and he died about, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour later. So later I was asking the father I said you know, you know you're the one who spoke to me about this so what happened how did this happen and the father told me this all of that story to say this the father said he told me this he said he said before he knew me uh that smoking put seeds in his body and those seeds that he planted in his body lay dormant as long as he walked in me and was growing in love and joy and peace he said but when he experienced that hardship and that bitterness and that anger changed the chemistry of his body. The father actually said that. He said, he said his reaction caused the chemistry of his body to change, and that allowed those dormant seeds that he had sown to spring to life, and it killed him. Now, that's an amazing thing. Did the Lord judge him in that? Did the Lord judge him? No, the Lord allowed him to face the consequences of his actions. Uh, you know, as long as he's walking in love and everything else, those seeds were dormant. So that's an interesting thing. I could think of things in my own life. I see my time has gone on. I've I've really gone on lengthy time of this. I'll share real quickly about three, four years ago, I was at our EU conference. I noticed that in, in the year or so prior to that conference, about four or five years ago, I started having vertigo when I was really tired. Now, vertigo is not dizziness. Dizziness is when you're standing up and the world is spinning. Vertigo is that your body is so, so, goofy, that you can't tell up or down or sideways. You can't tell right or left, up or down. Vertigo is very, very different than dizziness. And I noticed that when I got very, very tired, I would get vertigo. And sometimes it caused me to throw up and it's it's horrible, horrible, horrible. And as long as I lay down on my left side, I didn't have vertigo. If I tried to go to my right, it you know, it would return. And the Lord started dealing with me and saying, you're not taking days off. You're not taking day off. You need to take at least one day off and and completely off, unplug and take completely off. And Barb started telling me, John, you've got to take a day off. You've got to take a day off. So what happened was I was at our Dutch conference, and Friday night during the worship, our son Brian was leading the worship, and it was just anointed. Uh, two or three of us had our eyes open to his realm, and the Lord came over. And he said something privately to me. I, the beginnings of vertigo were happening. The Lord said something privately to me. There were two or three others who said that they saw the Lord, and he came over to him and talked to him. And, and beyond that, two or three others had visions and they knew he was there, but they didn't actually see him. So there was a half a dozen or more of us who who were aware of his presence. So I got up Saturday morning and the vertigo hit just full blown. And I, I, I made it through breakfast in the morning session, but in the afternoon, I was supposed to have a question and answer session. And I told Barb and Brian, I said, you guys will have to take it. I just can't get out of bed. So I lay there on my left side. And I'm going, father. I said, what, why is this? The Lord was there last night. And he said some things to me, but he could have easily just put forth his hand and heal me of this vertigo. And the father said this, he said, you've done this to yourself. He said, I've been dealing with you for some time about taking a day off. And you know, you get this when you get very tired. You've been in disobedience. You haven't even obeyed your wife who has been telling you to take a day off. You've done this to yourself. And he said this, he said, your body is going the way of the earth and you need to learn to adjust. You need to adjust. And so that helped me see, okay, kid, you're not 35 years old anymore. You know, you're not 40 years old and, uh, that I needed to adjust, but I'll tell you what, since then I have obeyed, I repented and I obeyed and I've not had vertigo, uh, since then i one or two, what I was kind of winding down into (laughs) from disobedience to obedience. And, uh, You know, but other than that, I've not had vertigo at all because I've disciplined myself. People will sometimes call or Skype or email me like on the weekends, you know, and I'll try to take a Saturday off or Friday or or Monday or something like that. And it's just like, I'm just unplugged, you know, and because I've disciplined myself, I've stayed rested enough. And uh, and that has not returned. So what was happening? The Lord was judging me. He was he said, if we judge ourselves, he won't judge us. And so the Lord had been asking me, the father had been asking me to judge myself about taking time off, not be such a, a type A personality where you get up in the morning and boom, hit the computer and start emailing people. There's a time for that. And, and five or six days of the week I do that. But then I've learned to take a full day off or, or two as I need it. And I've learned to cut back a little bit. So those are examples. Does the Lord judge individuals today? Yes, he does. He asks us first to deal with it personally. And, and he will sometimes, if we will be obstinate, like those Corinthians, he will allow us to suffer the consequences of our actions. And uh, and it's a learning process. So I hope that's helpful. It in no way explains everybody's tragedy and, and illness and everything else. It wasn't my intent. It was just to answer the question, does he judge people? Yes, and if so, how does he do it passively? Well, passively, that's one way he does it, is to just withdraw his hand and allow a person to experience the consequences of their action. All along, asking us to judge ourselves. So I hope that's been a blessing to you. I've gone on rather long today. Uh, you get more details of, of various things, the writings and everything else, my weekly thoughts at C-W-O-W-I dot O-R-G. All right, God bless. Hope that's been helpful.